Mandy when you came and you gave without taking and I sent you away. <laughs> Y'all Thank know you. that song? I, 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 that. I really wanted to sing along with you there, but... Uh, Why didn't you? Because I don't know the song. I don't oh, know shit. the song either. Yeah. It's, Sorry, Barry, it's, it's Barry Manilow, guys. Oh, I should know. Oh, welcome, welcome to the pod, people. The show where I guess only one of us knows Barry Manilow. We'll change I that. only listen I promise. to Black Sabbath. I'm the Cheddar Podlin, Matisse Van Rossum. <laughs> I'm the uh, Cenobike, uh, Ben Sheets. And you are? Uh, yep. And we're joined by Mandy. <laughs> Mr. Mandy himself. Mr. Uh, Mandy himself, Mandy himself, Cleveland Mosier. Hi guys, how's it going? And in case you hadn't guessed from that really clean and smooth intro that we did there, um, we're talking about Mandy. <laughs> sure, Andy. That's right. Sure, Andy. And then... <laughs> 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 Alright guys, signing off uh, And cut <laughs> Scene Um, yeah, Mandy is the 2018 film by, uh, oh fuck, I already forgot his name Pedro Cosmos? Uh, I, I think it's Pamos Cosmados Is that it? I opened the wrong app Papa Cosmos? Papa Cosmos Panos Cosmos Cosmos Something Pomegranate Cosby. No, it's Panos Cosmatos. Cosmatos. Panos Cosmatos. Okay. Who has done some other movies, none of which that I've seen. I've heard a lot of stuff about... Beyond the Black Rainbow. Yeah, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Heard it's very stylistic, which, I mean... After seeing this surprised. movie, does not surprise me one bit. No, no, me either. Um, I was aware of the existence of this movie for most of the year, but I never watched anything about it. I the trailers or anything like that. I, when did this come in, out? Uh, like a May. That yeah, ago? like May or June. It got a very, very limited oh, release. I could have been watching this movie every day since <laughs> May. Uh, it's unfortunate, um, but it's still. If that's the case, then it has had a really long theatrical run because it's still in some select theaters. Well, it got a very limited release in May or June. Oh, okay. So it might have gotten a more recent wide release, which, if that's the case, hell yeah, because this movie fucking deserves it. 100%. But yeah, it's been out for a while. I intentionally avoided almost anything about this movie. I... Saw that it was hyper stylized and had Nick Cage in it, and I was like, "This movie looks great. I'm not going to read anything or see anything about it yeah, until I see the movie." I had heard basically the same thing. I had heard some stuff about bloody revenge thriller with Nick Cage and featuring chainsaw fights. Um, so like that was enough for me to be interested. And I also know that a lot of people hated this movie, really, which is generally a good sign. I think when a film comes out and it's like super divisive, like everybody's either saying that it's a masterpiece or it's a pile of hot garbage. People 
people hated this movie. Yeah, dude, it was it was getting a lot a lot of hate from people online. Like this movie's so fucking pointless. I hated it so much. And then mm. on the other end of the spectrum, you have people saying that it's like an artistic, like psychedelic yeah. masterpiece. And so I'm like, okay, rad. I definitely want to see this movie because I'm going to be in one of those camps. I'm either going to think it's really good or really bad. Um, and this is one that I did think was was pretty damn good. Oh, I, I, yeah. liked, I liked a lot about it. Yeah. And uh, as you guys know, I live under a rock. So uh, I wouldn't have known about it at all if y'all hadn't come by to visit me under my rock and uh let me know that this it's film a pretty existed. Nice rock. So, yeah, I didn't see a trailer or know anything about it beforehand, and I Well, we're glad that we can bring you into some of these little gemstones of culture. Yeah. Well, oh, speaking yeah. of rock, the opening like title card sequence is all about like uh when I die, bury me. Wrap oh, the about cord that. of Wrap my headphones. headphones. My head. Yeah, they let you know straight out the gate and let me rock and roll. It's so metal. I love it. Oh yeah. That that being said, though, I was expecting a lot more like metal in the score, and there re- really wasn't any. Yeah, I same. mean, like it, the art was very metal. This movie metal was, was extremely thematically and stylistically metal. Though, oh, for and I was sure. Heavy all metal, about it. You might well, even yeah, say. specifically like he- that from that fucking uh, heavy metal magazine that they then turned mm-hmm. into a movie. There's a huge collection of it, actually. Oh, really? That's yeah. dope. Yeah. Uh, and there's even a few brief animated sequences in this movie that are done in like that exact same style. So. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It pulls directly and wears some like direct influences from 80s metal, uh, you know, adjacent movies on its sleeve, you know, whether it's heavy metal or Highlander or even like Evil Dead, Dead Evil you know? Dead especially, yeah. um, Hellraiser, Hellraiser, Hellraiser yeah, absolutely. So many like just phenomenal classics. I mean, yeah, it it was it was just beautifully and it's, pieced together. It's somehow stuff. able to pull inspiration from all of those things and not seem really disjointed and not just seem like it's ripping those things off. Yeah, everything felt in its place. Like if you're if you know things about like that. 80s cinema culture that this movie is paying homage to like you'll recognize a lot of those influences pretty easily like it's not subtle about a lot of them but it it doesn't feel cheap you'll feel like you're watching a new film that belongs in that canon absolutely yeah and oh god i can't recommend that it uh it pays homage without you know like you said relying on it uh, and it it always feels like its own movie, even despite that stuff, you right. know? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this movie was incredible. I think I said this the um, other day, but, like, uh, I can't say it enough. Before we go too deep into spoilers or anything about this film, like, one to, for me, one of the best things about it was not knowing anything about it before I saw it. Yeah, you know? I, I, and would, I... And I will, I will say that. Like, I, would, I wouldn't yeah, really take I would, that from anyone. If you're planning on seeing this movie and you want to see it and haven't yet... Uh, I would probably recommend yeah. coming back to this episode. There's not a ton to spoil in terms of story because no. there's not much of one. Um, but there's a lot of really great moments in the movie that I was glad I didn't know were coming. Oh, yeah, yeah so well, push. and that's the thing. You know, the the story is very in terms of, you know, archetype. It's, you know, it's that 
revenge flick. A hundred percent. And it follows those storylines beat for beat. It's a very simple story, but the strengths are not in the story per se. This movie kind of reminded me of Suspiria almost in a way because it is so heavily stylistic that it becomes an experience where the the story becomes secondary in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. And if you'll uh, listen back to our Suspiria discussion, you'll remember that I said that my problem with Suspiria is that I don't think it blended the narrative well with the... Uh, sort of like visual and uh like musical experience of the movie and then i think it either needed to go more minimalistic or the story needed to have more focus and i was thinking about that a lot while we were watching mandy because i think mandy accomplished what i wanted from the original suspiria that it didn't give me the story is extremely minimal, and because of that, it really does allow you to get wrapped up in the sort of dreamlike experience of the movie without getting distracted by a half-baked narrative. Yeah, and it's it's schlocky enough where even though it it hits at a lot of themes of, you know, love and loss and kind of ideas around that, it... It's not afraid to just get schlocky and not pay too much attention to internal logic or anything. You might say this movie has big Nick energy. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, speaking of Nick Cage, incredible casting. Killer. The, literally the perfect casting. Like this Ideal. Is, this is Nick Cage at like his best off-the-wall crazy um, the only Nick Cage that matters these days, as far as I'm concerned, like you guys said, they they could not have cast the the protagonist role better. Like Nick Cage did such a goddamn good job. Well, I saw something that the director originally wanted him as the cult leader, as Jeremiah Sands, but Nick Cage insisted that he played Red. Um, which I found super interesting because I could totally see him in either role. I'll just oh, take him yeah. for both. Uh, well, yeah, I think I think that would have been really funny if he had played both roles because I think the guy who plays the cult leader does do a very good job, and I think that casting was oh, was great as well. But thinking about Nick Cage in that role just makes me happy on the inside. Like I I would totally watch him this movie with Nick Cage in the other role. He's just so perfect in this role because he he's such a big character actor and when you have a movie that's so stylistically big like this one it just matches so well and it feels like he belongs in this world. It doesn't feel like overacting at any point. No. It feels like it belongs. Well, be, I think be, uh, a big reason that is is because all of the characters are purely archetypal and therefore they're very simple and kind of primal because um, it pulls a lot of aspects of like fantasy storytelling and like going on a quest and stuff like that. It's a hero's and, journey. And, and because of that, like Nick Cage gets to be just very raw and primal, which he does well. And there's not so much to his character that it feels like overacting, like you said. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whoever wrote this film is a big Campbell fan. 
Like that was also Panos Cosmatos. Oh yeah. I I will say it to an extent kind of feels like two movies in one. I think there's a a pretty clear tonal divide between the first two halves at almost exactly halfway through. I don't know if I find that transition completely effective. Uh, I I like both halves individually, but I I do think they they can feel kind of disjointed just because the first half is so slow and like extremely dreamy and not much is really happening and it, it it does really set up like the world really well but then mandy is killed halfway through and it becomes like for the most part really fast-paced like almost grindhouse style action slasher movie which is also handled extremely well but there's definitely that like that shift the break the break yeah well i i mentioned earlier the ideas of love and loss i feel like you could almost give those themes to each half you know the first half is really about love and then the second half is about loss and the the first half is slow but it's still so stylistic and like beautifully shot right i I don't think it's boring at all it never really bothered me, and I I understand upping the pace for, you know, post-Mandy dying. For sure. I, like, I, I understand why they did it, and I, I do think each half is handled really well in their own respect for what they're trying to do, but I I do think the, the tonal shift is a little bit abrupt, and I, I don't know if that transition really worked for me. Um, but I still enjoyed both halves of the movie individually because the, the first half is so slow, but like necessarily slow and does takes a lot of time like setting up Nick Cage and Mandy's relationship and then introducing the cult and the, the cult leader who is so immediately like enamored with Mandy just from passing her on the road and so he sends his his minions out to get her because he says he has to have her so that also fits in very well with that uh that theme of love and desire and i think all that stuff is is done really well especially when mandy is first kidnapped and you have that long scene of her tripping after they've given her acid and she's introduced to the cult leader for the first time which is like really beautiful and dark but also pretty funny because this cult leader is so obviously deluded and he never seems like all powerful or anything he just seems uh, an extremely unstable megalomaniac did he give you guys Charles Manson vibes? I was kind of getting Charles, yeah. Manson, Charles Manson, vibes. Jim Jones, you know, yeah. uh, especially Manson though, because he's like a failed musician oh, yeah. who takes like people oh, insulting his music so personally. Well, yeah, when he fucking puts on his mixtape for her, and it's a song that he wrote about himself. It's like a Carpenters influence so folk song, and, he, and like when he undoes his robe and he's just like standing there with his dick out, and she starts laughing at him, and so he starts like furiously jacking off to try to get himself hard and he can't and he's like screaming at everyone in the room not to look look at at me (laughs) 
Right, which should not work so well with also how kind of, like, dark and serious that scene is, but it does work really well. I think in a lot of ways, Mandy is very much a black comedy. It's not super heavy on the comedic elements, but... I think it's yeah. I think it's self-aware enough in its humor that the comedy doesn't come from sort of like misguided choices in the making of the movie that are unintentionally funny. Oh, it's like I think it's definitely trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I don't think any movie that was taking itself too seriously would have any sort of action movies action scenes like this movie does. Exactly. You know, those scenes are so tongue-in-cheek and fun well also even like the idea of this cult using this gang of bikers who have had their minds shattered by bad acid to do their bidding but they treat them like they're they're like demons they summon them by playing this little ocarina out in the woods the the horn of abraxas (laughs) so it's like they treat it very much like they're summoning these like avenging demons from the netherworld but in reality they're just cenobite bikers who took some bad acid and it really fucked them up so, like, that that dynamic of taking these sort of, like, very mundane, like, realistic things and putting them into, like, that fantasy setting, like I was talking about before, it works really well. Yeah, well, and even with, like, the Horn of Abraxas, every time they cut to it, there's this, like, green, like, flashing strobe light right. that they use for it. Or later when he when he uses the, the dagger, I forget what they call the dagger, it has some lengthy uh mystical mystical sounding name uh but yeah they do the same thing for that and the dagger's got like an eye like an eye in the pommel Mm -hmm. and it's very metal looking the bielsa blade (laughs) right (laughs) you know something something along those lines and i think that the reason that a lot of that stuff works so well is because there's not really like a transition from where the movie goes from being like realistic to psychedelic like it's psychedelic from the the beginning so it feels like this magical stuff can take place in this world and it makes sense because the whole thing is like a really bad acid trip i feel like this movie is the kind of movies that nicholas winding rain wants to make but isn't smart enough or is too pretentious to know that's the biggest thing i think this movie is like Nicholas Winding Rain without all the pretension. Exactly, without like, all the self-seriousness. Like, I think this movie is so stylized, but it never feels pretentious, even when, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's characters saying mumbo-jumbo and philosophizing about nonsense. Like, it doesn't feel like... You feel like the characters You don't feel bogged it. down well, by right, it. But yeah. it, it, but and it, because it also comes across as nonsense. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's trying to say something poignant, but is really just ve- being verbose. Like the, especially with like the cult leader, like he just goes off on these lengthy monologues that he delivers with such conviction, but it's just so obviously like the ramblings of a deluded narcissist. Oh yeah. And Nicolas Cage's moments when he has his great breakdowns as well, like as you could tell, he took them, I, I felt like he took them very seriously, like as an actor. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that's his thing. He like, goes whole fucking yeah. hog. Yeah, he gives a hundred ten percent to every movie he's. And that's in. another thing is like he doesn't have a ton of like real speaking parts in this movie like he has a few scenes of dialogue interaction but for the most part it's just him making crazy faces just and screaming pure emotion which is great because that's what Nicholas does Cage fantastically does so well. well like you were saying with the the cult leader nick cage near the end of the movie has a perfect line that like encapsulates mm-hmm. that it's like the difference between what was it a d- deluded man he's drowning in wisdom where uh a wise man is swimming right something like that i can't remember the exact no it's essentially it though yeah yeah. a deluded man is is drowning in wisdom and a wise man swims in it yeah um but that's like the perfect encapsulation of like why you know we buy the manson like jeremiah sands character as saying nonsense without it feel feeling pretentious because Mm -hmm. right and well similarly to manson a big part of his cult and his control over his his children so to speak is lsd he's keeping them all extremely doped up all the time you know and he's doping himself so they're all just kind of living in this one massive LSD delusion so they're they're believable as a cult because of that but they make the perfect villains for this movie cuz they're kind of purposeless villains i think a lot of the characters in this movie are kind of purposeless except for nick cage in wanting revenge halfway through the film you know everybody else is just kind of drifting which i think is part of what makes it seem so dreamlike is that nothing is really happening with much purpose yeah well i mean jeremiah sands has a purpose i mean kind of but like what really it's to like ascend and become a god but it's it's one of those lsd you know narcissistic pure narcissism but he doesn't seem to have any sort of like concrete plan on how to do that we don't see him doing anything that is going to as a matter of fact you have a moment with him like shouting at himself in the mirror what do i do oh right Yeah. yeah exactly so i yeah he 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 has false purpose i think i don't i think he's just as as aimless as as everybody else he just thinks that he has a mission but he's not really fucking doing anything which is fine he doesn't need to be he's he's this this nebulous concept of of evil he yeah. you know he's yes. a villain for the for the hero to slay one of the other things i i liked is we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the sense of humor in this movie is really fantastic. You know, they they sprinkle concrete examples of humor throughout the movie because you know it's it's, it's like subtly humor th- humorous throughout. But there's moments that are just straight up funny. Oh, like for yeah. example, when Mandy is first taken by the cult. They get the bikers to come in by sacrificing one of them, their own, uh, the fat guy who, who they call Lardass, right? Um, who I think they make a joke about him not being able to see his own nose in the mirror, right? Um, 
But they have this really spooky scene where he's like at the window and just gets pulled away. It's almost like into sucked into the, yeah. the void. Right? <laughs> no, I thought that shit's really funny. Well, and like the scene where uh, Nick Cage, the bathroom scene where Nick Cage goes into the bathroom after Mandy's been killed and he goes under the sink and pulls out a <laughs> bottle of vodka because he has toilet vodka i guess and just and he's he's only wearing tidy whities and uh, a tiger shirt yeah uh which i love is kind of foreshadowing to there being an actual tiger, tiger later in the movie um but he's just chugging from the bottle of vodka dumping it all over his wounds and just mm-hmm. screaming and it's all done in this like wes anderson like perfectly cute little 50s-esque framed bathroom and it's done sort of as like a like a, a setup wonner like it, it, it's great yeah i wouldn't i actually wouldn't be surprised if they did that in one take because even if you watch like the camera movement like the cameraman seems kind of uncertain like where nicholas cage is sitting on the toilet and the camera punches in on him but then it pulls back out slightly and then mm-hmm. moves back in i wouldn't be surprised if they're just like okay nick just go crazy yeah. in this bathroom the- and they told the camera guys like just just follow him just like and so the camera guy's like ah, i don't really know what to, i don't know what to expect but okay yeah. yeah that would not surprise me one bit well we should also mention right before he goes into the bathroom yes my favorite part of the we yes, get uh cheddar goblin. cheddar goblin um so right when he gets inside from well we we should we should set the scene for this because i think it's what comes right before this that makes this moment so fucking funny. He's literally just watched his wife get strung up in a bag and burned to death. He's tied up by barbed wire and he's been stabbed in the side by the Bielsa blade. Uh, Yeah. And when he, he, so he manages to free himself from the barbed wire. He crawls over to the pile of ashes that is Mandy and he picks up her skull that still kind of has like, the impression of her face in ash very well done. and the and the wind just blows it away and it just like crumbles from his hands and he gets up and goes into the house and on television is the commercial for cheddar goblin macaroni and cheese yeah it's like the ultimate bit of levity because it's like the heaviest scene in the movie is yeah, right before it's tragic it. And and I had to stop like in the middle of the film because I and, and asked myself like is this a real ad or not? And of course it's it's not. But like there were there were some fucking weird ads in the eighties. It's 80s. this little yeah. It's this little uh, this little I had to know puppet goblin. And it looks like a boglin. These, it does. It looks very much like a boglin. And there's there's kids running around and they're like cheddar goblin. <laughs> and it just starts like vomiting macaroni and cheese <laughs> all over the table and all over the kids. Yeah, the kids' head and everything. And it's and- like, like, it's like, like the most 80s cartoonish nonsense, and it's fucking hilarious. And it comes after this incredibly dark, horrifying scene <laughs> that's treated so seriously. It's the perfect catharsis. It for is. That and it's, scene, and it's like it's a that, ballsy move. And it's like at that point, if you don't, or if you think that the movie is taking itself extremely seriously that's the moment that 
tells you that there's no way in hell. And Cleveland, you found an article about that Cheddar Goblin yeah, commercial. Yeah. So uh, I don't. I don't think there's really uh, much cause to read the article, but um, yeah, I, I pulled it up because I was I, I was curious to know like what what was behind the 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 the, the nebulous dark malevolent void that is the Cheddar Goblin, and uh, I, I found this article, and I, I just I just want to read like the the tag title to it. Um, uh, but it's Cheddar Goblin, the unbelievable true story behind Mandy's breakout moment. And then there's a quote underneath it. Those kids had to get puked on for like six hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my okay, god! Okay, can incredible. we dive into this a little bit? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's. I want to know more. Dive. Okay, uh, so it's it's setting up the the scene. Um, the Cheddar Goblin is the the terrifying mascot for a fictional brand of mac and cheese, and in the trailer we see him emerge from a bowl of macaroni to vomit cheesy pasta all over a pair of smiling children. <laughs> yep. Yes, it's extremely weird, but considering who made it, you shouldn't be surprised. The publisher Inverse uh, spoke to practical effects uh, expert Shane Morton, who create um, helped create Smarf the Cat and Too Many Cooks. Oh, oh yeah, wow! Yeah, yeah. How about so that? Makes sense. A lot oh my of god, sense. that makes so much sense. I love that. I love that uh, about the insane process that went into making the Cheddar Goblin a reality. It was a crazy shoot, Morton recalls. 20 gallons of mac and cheese mixed with <laughs> pineapple fago and lemon jello. <laughs> so it really kind of smelled like vomit. Those kids had to get puked on for like six hours straight. The entire process uh, from creating Cheddar Goblin to watching it go viral would prove to be even crazier. God, God damn, damn, that's so amazing. Oh. That's so fucking funny. It makes so much sense. It does. It was the too many cooks guys. I mean, and the thing is, is like Cheddar Goblin is probably the most dramatically different thing from anything else in this movie. Like it so does not fit in a lot of ways, but it's hands down my favorite part of the movie. You cannot beat the Cheddar Goblin. Yeah. It, it is the perfect moment of catharsis, too. Absolutely. You know, it keeps the movie from feeling too heavy. Well, and also, you know? it it's right after that that we have the, the Nick Cage bathroom scene, which is also pretty funny. So you get a good amount of, of that sort of levity after that before it really changes gears into super grindhouse slasher movie where he goes to get a crossbow from this sort of wise man from bill duke from bill duke uh from predatory who uh who tells him about the the biker goblins the or whatever the the black skulls i think they're called um and then immediately after going to get this crossbow we get this excellent scene of nick cage forging the most metal axe i've ever seen in my life it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I want a prop of that to like hang on the wall above the TV. Yeah, it's so well shot too. Like him wearing the 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 metallic aviators and all the lens flares, just excellent. Yeah, it was awesome. And soon after that, we get a an awesome sequence where he's hunting uh, the black skulls. Oh my god! And he like shoots one of them off of their bikes. 
um, with his crossbow, and then he uses his truck to ram into them at full speed. But when he does, it flips his car and crashes it. Because the guy's wearing, like, a fucking suit of armor. Like, Well, yeah, covered in, like, like railroad uh, spikes. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's still a dude. Like, it wouldn't have done that. Like, which is sort of what I... I just love the idea that this guy is just it developed infinite mass. It would have <laughs> torn up the undercarriage of his car pretty bad. Like, yeah. his axles would have been fucked, yeah. for sure. Like, that would have thrown off his suspension, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> but it would not have flipped his right. car. Well, what I love about that, too, is because of the car accident, he gets immediately recaptured. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's captured, watches Mandy die, forges this awesome axe, and then gets captured again immediately. And that leads to one of my other favorite, favorite. parts yes. of the movie, when he's, like, in this basement, and one of the, the Cenobikes is... Uh, is like torturing him or whatever well first it like slashes his shirt and he's like that was my my favorite favorite shirt (laughs) and then it comes back and it like starts like slamming his head into the wall it's like you have a death wish and he's just like i don't want to talk about that (laughs) (laughs) just like crying (laughs) and then like yeah like pulls the, the the pipe that he's chained to off the wall beats the guy's head in and then he throws him down the random shaft that he was next to that I don't think was in any of the pre was it in any of the previous you shots? can I did notice it in one of the shots where it's crossing the room back to him it is very low in the frame but low you can see you can see that it was that a, it was like a bridge kind of that Nick Cage was sitting on so I did notice it but they don't like set up the scene like being like look there's a shaft here mm-hmm. Nick Cage is right next to a shaft yeah. they just kind of like throw the Cenobike down yeah, it, dude it's, gets Hans Gruber. Like, it's great. Oh, it's fucking awesome. Yeah. And then he goes out into the next room, and there's the other one that's just watching porn and burying its face in a mountain, mountain. of cocaine. Tony Montana style. Tony Montana style. And it has a, a massive bladed cod piece yeah. on, which ends up leading right. to its death because yeah. it gets the cod piece stuck in the floor while it's on top of Nicolas Cage, and so he cuts its throat. Yeah. And then snorts a shitload of cocaine off of a shard of broken glass. Man, oh, yeah, that, incredible. All of that shit was so just chef kiss perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those scenes that just gets a reaction out of you when you see it. Like, right, we were all going, oh, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. There's few movies that get so much of a reaction out of me, like over the top movies. Like this, this movie fall fell into the caliber of like Crank Two in a lot of ways, and yeah. how over the top in it the, gets in the second half. For yeah, sure. yeah. Um, but I was here for it. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. Like. Yeah, like I thought I thought all of the action was incredible and I think the over the top elements of it just make it so much better. Oh yeah. Like I think there are times for restraint, but this movie did not have time for restraint. Fuck no, and absolutely I would not. I think it's better because it didn't restrain itself. I'm so glad it didn't. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. You know, like more pretentious art house directors would have just been like, let's make it implied and subtle and yada yada yada. Fuck that. You gotta you gotta get well, no, but big also, and balls to the wall also sometimes. Because the whole the whole first half of the movie is so kind of subdued, you know? So it's like 
at at that point, you know, you're you're fully in the second half of the movie. Yeah, go balls to the wall. Like you've earned it at this point. You know, just fucking hold nothing back. And they didn't. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah, well, and it's not pretentious about it either. I think of movies like Only God Forgives or The Neon Demon, especially, where it, like the last 10 or 15 minutes of that movie, it goes fucking bonkers. But it's so pretentious for the rest of it. And even through that section, that it's just more frustrating than it is entertaining yeah and this that's my problem with nicholas this movie this movie dodges that because it knows that it's fun you know it emphasize it leans into the fun everyone has fun in this movie it knows it's the cheddar goblin movie oh yeah like i think i think that uh every every aspect of this film you know, I, I look at like I can I can use the word fun. You know, from from the writing to from the direction to For the sure. acting, like it, it just every moment. I, I, and I just I feel I would have loved to have been on set for this film. I'm oh, sure I like, bet everyone it was, was a, having I bet an it was a blast. Yeah. yeah, I bet it was really fun. Except for the parts where they had to build really elaborate scenes for one shot. Yeah. So which which happened a lot in the last half of the movie. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, hey, it all looks really good. I was all really about stunning. that, yeah, honestly. Yeah. The, the shit all looks really good. Oh man, and then there's the chainsaw fight scene. Love it. Where Nick Cage finds the chainsaw. Yeah, just picks it up. It's in his path. Yeah, it's just, no explanation. Yeah, but then he goes, he walks up to the guy he's trying to kill with it, and the dude just pulls out a comically long chainsaw. <laughs> Just like from behind, uh, like and it's a the pile beat, of rubble. It's so beautifully beat for beat too. Like, cause you you see him, and he's like, oh fuck yeah, he's getting the chainsaw. Fuck yeah, turns the corner. Fuck yeah, he's gonna fight a guy with his chainsaw. Fuck yeah, that guy has a chainsaw. Fuck yeah, chainsaw fight. Oh fuck, super long chainsaw. Right, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and you he, lose your mind because like, like he just pulls just, the, the the chainsaw and just like the blade is just right. so long, it just keeps uh, getting longer. Like oh my beat god, to beat, just like getting more and more hype for that fight before it happens. Just like yeah. earlier. So well it's another scene where it just demands a reaction mm-hmm. out of the audience. You know, you can't watch that and not like feel things, <laughs> feel the stuff, and cheer. Essentially, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, I bet this movie would be really fun to see in a theater with a bunch of other people who yes. are also super into it. Yeah, and that's the thing. This movie screams cult classic. Like I could see For this sure. movie decades to come people coming back to it and wanting to see it in theaters I and absolutely midnight oh, yeah. screenings and whatnot mm-hmm. i i could absolutely see no that. i i actually agree with you 100 percent. this this movie does seem sort of like an instant cult classic i think it, it has all of the elements that that sort of make up a cult classic and the fact that i wouldn't say that it was widely unsuccessful but because it was so divisive when it came out and there were so many people saying that it was trash then i i think that yeah like years down the line people are going to be revisiting this and being like why did i think this was so bad and i think i think like the same can be said for like robocop when it came out you know and other movies of that sort ah it's trash you know it's it's about a robot cop like who gives a shit you know yeah i mean you look at movies like the thing where it got critically panned when it was released right Mm -hmm. you know obviously (laughs) these movies are much different but i mean it's the same kind of thing you know oh the principal stands um but yeah i think this movie (laughs) will 
stand the test of time because God, oh, so. God damn, does it at least look beautiful? And is it, it's so much fun. That's the biggest thing, you know? Like, I think that's what's going to make it enduring is how much fucking fun it is to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think that for for some people, the first half definitely could be a slog depending on what kind of movies you're into. Um, the pacing is pretty pretty glacial in the beginning, but I still think that what it's doing and what the story that it's telling so so visually is still really engaging. Oh, yeah, it's um, just so vivid. But, but I would say that if you go to watch this movie and you find yourself bored in the first half... Stick it out. Stick with it. Stick yeah. with it. Because I, you will, by the second half, there's no possible way you can be bored. I almost think having a slow first half kind of primes you oh, to yeah. expect the second half less. Because, oh, yeah. it, you know, it, it kind of pulls sort of the rug lulls, out under you. It yeah. pulls you into one kind of pacing and then very yeah. dramatically shifts gear. Yeah, Which makes it work more film, in but... a way for me. You know, I, I feel like if it retained the second half pace through the whole thing, yeah. it wouldn't have felt as... You know, kinetic in the second half. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm definitely an advocate of how how crazy it gets in the second half. I, I do think that the transition could have been handled a little better, just because like the first half does sort of lull you into this one this one sort of mindset, and it really primes you for what it's doing in that mindset, and then the shift is so dramatic. That at least for me, it's it just was... so Cheddar Goblin, right? Well, I mean, I do think that that is a, a very effective thing to do after yeah. that scene. But I, I do think they could have, you know, maybe even before the scene where Mandy dies, like eased into that, maybe, maybe a little bit more smoothly. And I think then it would have made a more natural shift into the second. See, half. it I really, guess, I, it I really, really didn't having the bother me at all because yeah, the I big, agree. the big scene. That I felt like transition that was the scene where uh, Mandy is drugged and is on LSD and you get these, you know, tracing images in the bright red room. Yeah, but there's similar imagery throughout the beginning, and that still that scene is still very slow, and a lot of really really long takes, and a lot of monologuing and philosophizing. It's not the same. Absolutely, kind of but the, the but half. the uh, the humor and the intensity is built up so much, especially in the second half of that scene. Yeah, that I think it works pretty well as a transition. You know, at least for me, I thought like. Especially once he turns his own music on, Jeremiah Sands. That was pretty funny. Um, I I felt like that was really the turning point. It was tricky for me. That whole scene was like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, in fairness, as well. I think as well. I think that scene's Um, done really well. What were you going to say, Cleve? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, like, I guess looking back at that scene, like, I found it really funny. In the, in the moment, I was, I was still kind of laughing, almost kind of, like, tentatively and out of fear. Um, cause like it was, it was a funny thing for a funny person to be doing, but we knew that I knew the power that this character had in that moment and like, especially like the sexual power. And like, that was, 
Woo, man, I felt I mean, pretty fucking uncomfortable in that it's scene. Ske- and it's like, skeezy and uncomfortable yeah. for sure, but it's it, it was made it very effective. Well, but like, what I what I think that scene does so so well is uh, sort of strip uh, Jeremiah of the sort of godlike presence that he has up to that. Oh, yeah. Because he does seem, you know, very charismatic cult leader-ish. And that's the scene where you really get more so than anything that he's just a, a totally delusional nutcase with fucking, like, whipping his dick out and mm-hmm. not being able to get hard and that, and putting on his music and revealing the album cover, which is just him wearing the exact same outfit he's wearing <laughs> in the scene. And <laughs> And like it's the this, best he's got to offer yeah right it's just like it's there, like this guy this guy is he's a he's a joke but he does hold a lot of power in this situation and he is dangerous yeah. and it is it is really cool that like the 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 scene progresses with his his attempt failing because you know, we we see these scenes in in film and 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 you're just in media with with cult leaders using psychedelics to try and bring people into their fold. Right. But I've never seen a scene where it fails. And that's kind of the the, the crux of, of, of right. the plot is that, you know, it ends with her laughing at him and being like, like, fuck you. Like, this is like, what 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 the fuck is this? You're a joke. And he, he kidnaps her because he's initially in love with her, but then becomes so enraged by her laughing at him and him not being able to control her that he has to kill her because yeah. of that. He goes from thinking that she's like angelic to after that scene calling her a whore. It's like, oh, you rejected my sexual advances. You're a whore. Like it's it's that that deluded Medieval sort of bullshit, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, and I feel like the transition his character takes during that scene kind of guides the shift in tone in the movie whereas in the first half of the scene he feels like a genuine threat right where he's scary and by the end of it you know he's kind of this insecure joke of a character you know he's humiliated and then the tone of the movie becomes something different because he's less of a threat and we see it in a different lens, I guess. I mean, I suppose so, but the scene that follows that up is is him burning Mandy alive in front of Nicolas Cage. So I don't I wouldn't say that it doesn't make him seem not like a threat. I don't know. I It's a different kind of threat. I see, though. I see I see where you're I see where you're coming from. I I still for me think that the transition could have been handled a little bit better because I personally, while I was watching it, found it a bit jarring. So, like, I I noticed that, uh, and it it sort of unimmersed me briefly until like the action really started picking up, and I was sucked back in. Um, but that's that's just personal taste for me. Um, I I still think that the whole first half is really good, and the second half is really good in in very different ways. One thing I want to talk about that we didn't touch on yet is the music and the sound design yes. of this movie. Yeah. This was uh Johan Johannesson's last score, I believe. One of his last. One of his last. Yeah. Um, I was surprised when I saw his name in the opening credits cuz he he died several months ago uh or earlier this year. Um, yeah, and so, I yeah, thought the music was ones. 
awesome I, yeah i thought it was really good too it was really atmospheric um i like i was saying at the beginning of the episode i was expecting more metal influence in the score um just because of the way they set it up with like the opening titles set and, to king crimson and set to king crimson mm-hmm. and mandy is wearing in almost every scene like a different like 70s or 80s metal band t-shirt yeah it's a black sabbath uh, she's shirt. got a black sabbath yeah. shirt and some of those like heavy metal uh obvious influences i was expecting the the score to be more more metal inspired yeah i still think th- well I, I, think, think, I think i think the score was really good the, I, I liked it a lot yeah i think that was sort of used to show Red's progression as becoming this this heavy metal character by the end of the film. Like, uh, the first time you even hear, like, a, I'm pretty sure, like, you hear, like, a, a drum set, like, an actual, like, metal drum set is, like, the, towards, the, like, the last few moments. Right, in I the church, that, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah and they start, the like, church. then finally, like, the, the heavy metal starts well, coming right, in. Well, right, because I noticed right. that, and I was like, I was like, oh, okay, here's the metal that I've been looking for for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's in, like, the last ten minutes of the It film. felt so perfect in that yeah. scene, though, when he's yeah. going into the church, mm-hmm. and, you know, we finally get guitars <laughs> and yeah. drums and oh man it felt so good yeah and uh, the industrial ambience like beforehand though like oh killer yeah the, like some really nice all of the sound design is really yeah. good too you know there's a lot of people taking acid and shit in this movie like this movie is an acid trip so you get a lot of like vocal effects on people when they're talking sort of like layering of vocals and pitching down of vocals and stuff yeah the vocal effects are um, so good yeah i think a lot of that's really good especially the scene of bikes i just loved their yeah. like beastly guttural <laughs> well, sounds and like the fight yeah. scenes like the violent scenes too like had really over exaggerated like gross sounds or like later when he like shoves the butt of his axe down the one cult member's throat and it's just like super gurgly and oh, wet yeah. sounding he's just like spewing blood everywhere the the sound does a lot to enhance this movie for sure i think this is uh this is a great example of God, of really good combination of visuals and sound design and music i'm gonna have to track down a behind the scenes of this movie there's got to be some i'm good, sure there's some stuff some good footage. On, on youtube yeah. i bet you can find some stuff God, I'd love yeah to learn more about the what happened on set uh is there anything else you guys want to touch on before we go into ratings i'm down to jump into ratings if you guys are sure i'll start it's very rare for me to react in a way i did to this movie you know it's rare that once a movie ends the first thing i want to do is watch it again but this was one of those times. Oh, yeah. As soon as the crowd um, This is like, near is a goddamn masterpiece, in my opinion. I thought this movie was amazing. I thought, all stylistically, it's incredible. Um, it's very big and flashy, similar to, you know, Suspiria and Nicholas Winding Rain. But it immerses you, you know, it it immerses you and it becomes an experience where the story, while it's there, isn't dumb enough to pull you out of it at any point, And it isn't overbearing and it definitely isn't pretentious. This movie is fun all over. Some of the most fun Nicolas Cage scenes of all time. And that's a high bar. 
um, really dreamy stuff. You know, it reminded me in ways of Wild at Heart just because, you know, David Lynch doing Nick Cage. I thought this movie was incredible with the style, with the sound design, with the music. Uh, I even like the pacing personally. I thought uh, the the way it pulls the rug under you going from the first half to the second half worked really well for me. All the set design was beautiful. We got so many amazing set pieces, so many cool costumes. This is a perfect movie for me, and it's honestly, it's my favorite of the year. It's five out of five for me. All right. Uh, Yeah, I like this movie a lot. Um, I think what's really important is that it is an art house film that is not pretentious and uh, obviously takes its creation very seriously but isn't afraid to uh, have fun and be self-aware and inject the the proper humor that this kind of fantastical story requires. Can't say enough good things about the the dreamy, psychedelic visuals. The, the whole thing feels sort of... I would compare it to uh, a dream that transitions into the worst acid trip you've ever had in your life. Uh, Nick Cage is awesome, next level. My favorite performance from him that I've seen in a really long time. Um, Just the right level of batshit insanity from my favorite batshit insane actor. I I don't think it's without its faults. Um, There were... A couple of things that didn't work perfectly for me, namely the the transition between the first and second half. But overall, uh, I think this is a really, really strong entry. Um, And it really makes me want to go back and check out Beyond the Black Rainbow because I'm curious about what uh, Panos Cosmatos is, uh, who he is as a filmmaker because it's the first thing I've seen by him. Um, I'm going to give it a strong four out of five pods. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, man, I uh, I wish I had more to say during this podcast, but honestly, I've just I'm just still reeling from this movie. I'm just so starstruck by it. Um, I'm I'm gonna make it a regular thing. I'm gonna be watching this movie several more times for sure. Like I I'm probably annually. Like it's it's up there with other films I'd revisit, like you know Mononoke and other my, my other personal favorites. Um, no, I I really like this film. Um, I I enjoyed uh uh. Personally, uh, I enjoyed the transition transition from the, the first and second half. Uh, I liked having the rug pulled out from under me, and I was just so surprised and delightfully caught off guard by the action sequences in this film. I was really expecting it to go a much more darker, more saturated uh, slasher film vibe instead of this, like, Evil Dead, just non... Like, or really, Army of Darkness. This movie goes from Evil of Evil Dead to Army of Darkness. Like, um... Uh, and I, I loved that. I loved seeing that in one in one swoop. Cheddar Goblin. Like, I can't say enough. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, Cheddar Goblin. Uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm just d- delightfully rambling. Um, five out of five, easy. Uh, again, a prob- I'm, I'm struggling to think of a, a better film I've seen in the past, past year or two. Like, I, I love this movie. Right on. Well, that's a strong, strong 4.7 out of 5 pods for Mandy on average. Um, Yeah, check this movie out. Uh, Like I said before, if you feel yourself getting bored in the first half, stick around for the second half because you won't be let down at all. Um, And with that, uh, I'm going to take us into our favorite place, the Metacritic Corner. 
So I, I've got two for us this week uh, because I couldn't decide between the two. The first one is uh, from a Metacritic user named Delta Gilbert. <laughs> I watch a lot of movies. I can, count, <laughs> I can count the number of movies I haven't been able to finish on one hand. Mandy is one of them. Ooh. It's two hours long. I made it 40 minutes before I turned it off. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he didn't know what he missed. Most, most of what I saw consisted of drawn-out arty scenes showing very little. <laughs> the use of colored filters to make scenes either red or blue was pointless and added nothing to the film. And that's all I can really say. Nothing else happened for me to talk about. At 40 minutes in, had nothing really happened that couldn't have been achieved in 5 to 10 minutes of screen time? Ignore the positive reviews. This movie's terrible. Watch anything else. (laughs) It's better to spend two hours watching pointless YouTube clips. Oh my god, incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Like, he missed out on so much, but he was so close. He was so close to catching all of it. He was 40 minutes in. If he had held out for another 20 minutes, and that's what's my favorite thing. He he was willing to give a movie a strong strong rating based on less than half of the movie. Well, that's the thing, you know, like... 40 minutes, that's like right before the acid scene, which was honestly one of my favorite scenes, oh, yeah. you know, like he gave up right before the movie even like really got started. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely legendary. Zero out of 10 for his review, but 10 out of 10 for me to his, his review. review. I agree. <laughs> All right, and so the next one is from Metacritic user Q8 Marang Glace, or Glace, I don't know. Um, And before I uh, read this, I'm going to preface by saying this entire review is devoid of punctuation. It's one long sentence. Do not, I repeat, do not watch this crap boring movie. It's a waste of time, trust me, for who watched Annihilation 2018 and liked it. You may like this, but again, this is worst. I rated Annihilation 2018 3 out of 10, but this I gave it 1 only. It's not worth watching, just trust me and you will thank me later. 1 out of 10. (laughs) They're in a hurry. (laughs) Wow. And there it is. Wow. I like how they they said that if you liked Annihilation, you might like this movie. And don't get me wrong, I did like Annihilation I, very, great. very much. But I don't think these two films are are comparable. They are very different. They're extremely different. They have some similar, similarly psychedelic visuals, but Annihilation is much sparser on those. And uh, yeah, the the comparison is is not an apt one no. i don't think so psychedelias were where the comparisons stop basically and and really annihilation only has like 10 or 15 minutes of like true psychedelia mm-hmm. uh towards the end um yeah goddamn no that that's that's excellent um that's a, yeah i couldn't choose between those two so that's why i had to do both of them but that's it for, i'm glad you did <laughs> that's it for metacritic corner this week Uh, do we have a sponsor this week? 
I don't know. You I do, tell oh, me. yeah. Why don't here? Uh, why don't you flip through our big folder of sponsors and yeah. tell me who our sponsor for a, the week is? Cleveland. All right. Well, uh, in the uh, I need to lean in. Is there a is there a chapter in the sponsor book? Um, maybe try flipping to uh, sponsor number three hundred and ninety-seven. Ooh, three hundred and ninety-seven. We're that's a we're good in, we're in high demand. We Damn. got people throwing money at yeah, us left some, and right. That's you a know? lot of sponsors. That's yeah. only the like, the first quarter of the book too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. I, it's a big book. That adds up. That adds what up. can I say? We're wait, we're wait. Is this, a, is this volume one? Is this yeah. volume yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you see that shelf over there? Yeah, is that that's all that's all sponsorship. Yeah, dude, we're fucking made of money. The sponsor shelf. They love us. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the sponsor shelf. This is actually brought to you by the makers of the sponsor shelf. Wow. Clarkson and Clarkson. Sponsor shelf makers. <laughs> Experts in making sponsor shelves. Purely yeah. for sponsorship books. How about, just read the copy. Can you read, like, what they sent to us to read? Uh, uh, something, something about, uh, only the finest qualities are guarantee. Uh, cop- oh, oh, to you, to you, yeah, um... Uh, only the finest copies are guaranteed, uh, soon all shelves will be sponsor shelves, beware of the rise of the, the donors, uh, beware the rise of Patreon, for it is a false god, a, a, a lamb of darkness sent to enslave all humanity, thank you, Tees and Ben, for your wonderful support with sponsor shelves. Hearts, hearts. Oh, oh don't read the end. Uh, don't, we don't want to summon. We don't want to summon them. It, it's it in Braille? I, I can't. I, no, no, it is in the, the Holy Script. Oh, 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 that. Script. Yeah, don't, oh. no, don't read that. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm going to set this down. Uh, well, you heard it here fo- first, folks. By the, by the, by the sponsor the shelf. Clark, the Clarkson. Clark, please. Clarkson and Clarkson sponsor shelves. Please, please do. That it sounds pretty bad. It sounds pretty bad if you don't. Hey, you guys, was there were there always two sponsor shelves over there? Uh, yeah, I think so, right? And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Oh God, there well, are three now. There are three. <laughs> Just keep going, just keep going, keep rolling. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Mandy. All hail sponsor shelf. All hail the sponsor shelf. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to include the rating of your all-new sponsor shelf. And if that rating is any less than five, well, by God, you better rethink that there, buddy. Follow the show on social media, on on Twitter, at PodPeoplePod. And don't forget to follow the Sponsor Shelf Twitter, at Sponsor Shelf Clarkson & Clarkson, the number one and only Sponsor Shelf at Twitter.com, backslash Sponsor Shelf. Sponsor Shelves, all I see, consuming everything. Follow us on Letterboxd for a complete list of the films that we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to reviews. You can also uh, find links to where you can buy your very own sponsor shelf on our letterboxd.com slash podpeoplepod slash sponsor shelf. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome, where I deliver only the finest tweets about how much I love my sponsor shelf. And boy, don't you. 
Ben, where can they find your tweets about how um, excellent the sponsor shelf is? Where uh, you can find me at Mr. Sheets, where I beg for forgiveness from the sponsor shelf. Please forgive me. I atone for my sins, Mr. Clarkson and Clarkson. Sponsor shelves, please forgive Careful, me. Don't get their names wrong. It's not Clarkson and Clarkson. It's Clarkson and Clarkson. Oh, no. Careful. Oh, God. Careful. Cleveland, why don't you tell the good people where they can find your artwork of... Uh, of many different uh, varieties of sponsor shelves. Yes, by by the by the 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 the, the mighty sons of Clark. Yes, um, uh, my my work is found on uh, on Art Station. Uh, if you search Cleveland Mosier or Iron Prism, you can find uh, find my paintings of uh, traditional Italian oil, beautiful masterwork pieces of sponsor shelves. And man, do they make those sponsor shelves look almost as good as in real life, but not quite because there's no there's no true replica of the real thing. Mm-hmm. Never. Well, thank you as always for listening and check back with us next week for more of the finest news in sponsor shelves. Until next time, hail the sponsor shelf and worship the Cheddar Goblin. There is no man. There is only sponsorship. Ah.